morning. So good uh, to see all of you here at this now conference weekend. How many of you were there at the conference? It was, was pretty awesome, huh? It was really awesome. Come on. Uh, over 10 people got saved, I heard. And uh, man, it's so good that, you know, we have this opportunity to, to bring people to Jesus. And we, uh, we have this opportunity to bring young people to Jesus. Because I, I believe God loves, you know, no matter if you're young or old, he loves us. He has a plan for our lives. And uh, so it's so good uh, to have times like this where we invest in, uh, in the younger generation of our church. And I want to welcome everybody who's watching through Church Online. Let's give them a big hand. And uh, the theme of the conference was um, for such a time as this. And um, if you know the Bible a little bit, you know this phrase has been borrowed from uh, the book of Esther, where uh, this young woman um, knew that if she didn't take action, a whole nation, a whole people will perish. And uh, so she made the decision to basically sh- that, that saved the, the Jewish people. And, uh, and I believe that, that God has a plan for every single person. And, um, and we're here for a reason. All of, us here are for, all of us are here for such a time as this to make a difference in the lives of, of the people around us, the people that are in our lives. And uh, so I want to talk to you about that for, for a few moments today. Um, I'm uh, actually breaking up the flow of the Lost Essentials message series. We're, we'll be continuing with that series next week. But this week I'm going to talk to you uh, about a passage in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have a Bible, uh, make sure you look it up. It's an um, important Bible passage here. And uh, next week we're continuing this um, the Lost Essentials series with a message on the laying on of hands and which um, is put in the same category as things like baptism and so on that we talked about the previous weeks. Um, and there's something really profoundly important in, in that, uh, that topic of laying on of hands and, uh, because I believe that everything in the kingdom of God is transferred relationally. And so we're going to talk about that next week. And actually this week will kind of set you up for that uh, next Sunday very well. And... Um, so anyway, I want to, want to paint a picture a little bit uh, before, uh, before I get into uh, the passage. Uh, and, but first, let's pray and ask God to kind of reveal some things to us. Father, we thank you for who you are, for your presence in this place. We thank you for an amazing Now Conference weekend and what you've done in the lives of so many uh, people. Father, we just want to, we just want to uh, honor you, we want to give you all the praise. And, and God, we just pray that, um, that today you would speak to our heart in a very, very real way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And by the way, before I continue, let's, let's just give it up for uh, Joshua and Joyce um, and the whole Alive and Sub-30 team. Let's just give it up for them. They, amazing, amazing job. Takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of time uh, to uh, put up a conference like this. And, uh, and uh, so... Yeah, it's just amazing that, uh, that we have people that really believe so much in our young people and really believe that God can move when we, uh, when we take the time and invest in our young people. So thank you so much for, uh, for that. So uh, anyway, the context of the story in uh, Matthew chapter 28, um, Jesus uh, walked around for, um, for 30 years. And, uh, and then uh, a- after a, a period of obscurity, he basically stepped into the public arena um, uh, when he basically gathered um, about uh, 12 followers uh, to him, 12 disciples to him. Uh, he walked with them. He taught them a lot of things uh, through, uh, through the course of three years. 
And, um, and they uh, started to discover that, that this Jesus actually was the Messiah, was the person that they were expecting, the Jews were expecting to come and to, uh, to basically liberate their nation. And they thought Jesus is the one, and then he died. And they were like, man, what do we do now? Like their hopes for, uh, for the future were just shattered in one moment. So, uh, so Jesus died, and then, but then the, on the third day he rose from the dead. And so their hope came back alive again. And then over the course of about 40 days, um, Jesus was still with the disciples and gave them some more instructions, appeared to them in a, a couple of times. And, um, and what, after those uh, 40 days, he would uh, ascend to heaven on his ascension day. And, and one of the things he said during that time was the passage we can actually now find in uh, Matthew chapter 28. A couple of words of Jesus were recorded here. And uh, some really important words. And, and we refer to those. If you look at your Bible, it probably says the Great Commission on top of it. The Great Commission with, with bold letters. It's a, it's a title. But you know what? In the Bible, as we, as we know today, there are um, verse numbers. There are chapter numbers. There are uh, headings. But the way the Bible was written, there was none of that. There were no headings. There were no verse numbers. There were no chapter numbers. There was nothing like that. And um, so we added those. And, and actually, the, the name, the, the, the word, the Great Commission, was not something that was coined by Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, uh, say, hey, I'm giving you the Great Commission right now. But I think it's a very good term to actually um, den uh, denote what, what is going on here and what he is trying to bring over, bring across to, to his people, the Great Commission. So, um, so the Great Commission is the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. I think it's really important for us to realize. So he gives this Great Commission to his disciples. And not only does he give it to his disciples, they were recorded in the Bible so that we could hear them today. We could read them today. Because we are included in that same com uh, great commission. It's for us as much valid as it was for the disciples uh, 2,000 years ago. The great commission. So let's read verse 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love that promise at the end. I'm with you always till the end of the age. We know that Jesus, that God is with us. When I read this passage, one, the first thing that stood out to me is that word all. That word all is repeated four times in this passage. You know, it says all authority. It says all nations. It says all commands. It says all the days. That's how it's, uh, how it's written in Greek. Four times all. And why did Jesus use those, those four times all? Is there something he was trying to teach us here or so? I believe it is. I believe... That Jesus, you know, if you look at the way how um, books like the Bible were written in, back in those days, they actually used uh, repetition to make a point, to actually underline something. In those days, you know, they didn't, you know, there wasn't anything like, um, you know, they, they weren't printing books yet. And they didn't have like um, Times New Roman bold. They didn't have that. 
Uh, and I'm sure there's a Hebrew version to that as well. But they didn't have bold. They didn't have underlined. They didn't use any of that. They didn't even use exclamation marks. Neither did they use emojis. <laughs> How many of you use emojis in your WhatsApps or <laughs> emails? I do it too. I thought it was just a younger generation, but uh, by now we all do it. It's, it's kind of like going back to, uh, to like the, the, um, the Egyptian script, you know. <laughs> After a while, we don't need Dutch anymore. We don't need, you know, everybody can understand each other through emojis. Perfect. So, He repeats that word all four times. Must be important. I guess Jesus was trying to make a point here. Uh, And and you know what? These were the last words that Jesus would say before he he ascended to heaven. Um, And and usually, you know, when we we go and, you know, when a person is dying, those last words are super important. The famous last words. We want to make sure that we we hear what the person is saying and we carry it out because it's usually their last will. Of course, with Jesus, he had already died. He had already rose from the dead, and now he's alive again. And, and, and now he, he's giving these words right before his ascension, right, he, right before he departs earth. He wants to make sure that we hear him and that we carry out his commands. That's what's going on right here. He's trying to get our attention. So I want to go verse by verse, and I'll start with verse 16, and I'm going to draw, draw out some important things from this passage, but let's start here. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Galilee. If you've been to Israel, you, you know that it's a little north of the city of Jerusalem. Galilee was a place, a beautiful place, you know, with the, with the Sea of Galilee there. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it with my own, own eyes. Hopefully we get to make it to the, to the, to the Sea of Galilee. But Eva and I were going to go to Israel for about four days in, in, in two weeks' time. And looking forward to see it. But this, this part of the country called Galilee, you know, in, in, the, in the Promised Land, in present-day Israel, it's kind of like a backward place. This was like where, you know, the farmers were. This was where the, where the fishermen were, you know. Uh, they weren't seen by people uh, of high importance, of high intelligence by the people in the intellectual center of the nation, which was Jerusalem. They, were, they looked down on these people that, that lived there in, in Galilee. Why did Jesus tell them to go back to, to Galilee? Because that's where they came from. In fact, Jesus started out his ministry in, in Galilee. It all started there. Jesus picked some of the people that were considered not the smartest, not the wealthiest, not the most influential. And he chose them to confound the, things, to confound the people that think they are wise. He chose those people. He went to Galilee and he told them to go back to the place where they first started. Didn't, Jesus, on purpose, didn't start out his ministry in the religious center of the nation. He didn't start out his ministry in, like, the palace in Jerusalem. No, nothing like that. Even though he was king, even though he was a, a great religious, you know, in, you know, influence in that day, he decided not to, not to go to Jerusalem, but to go to Galilee first. And also, he told them to go to a mountain in Galilee. I don't know which mountain it was. I didn't study that part. You know, maybe I should have to tell you which mountain it was because it's apparently an important mountain. But here's an important thing to to know, that God has something special with mountains. I love mountains myself. How many of you love mountains? 
I just love looking at them from a distance. It's awesome. It's beautiful. I don't particularly like to be in the mountains. I like to look at them from a distance because I'm afraid of heights. And I recently, this last summer, I discovered again how, how serious this condition is. So pray for me. I took my dad's camper van. And I was supposed to go from uh, Grenoble in France to uh, the Drôme uh, region. And so I looked at, at Google Maps. And it says it takes about um, 50, 40 minutes to go from Grenoble to, um, to the place we needed to go to in the, in the Drôme area. I'm like, man, we should be able to do it because the other route takes you about one and a half hour. So we're like, yes, let's take it. My speed slows down and slows down. It's like 20 kilometers per hour. I, I creep through the mountains with my dad's camper van. And everybody's like passing me by and stuff. And I'm like, I'm just like afraid. And it took us like two hours. The, the thing that should have taken us like 40 minutes took me two hours. I should have taken the bypass <laughs> through the, for the valley, but, you know, next time. So, um, but God has something with mountains. God is not afraid of, of mountains. He's not afraid of the heights and everything like that. I mean, just look at uh, the story of Moses. God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai. He gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, an important, um, you know, thing in the history of the Jewish people. Then, Eli- then, then also Elijah. You know, Elijah, when he uh, had that, um, you know, situation with the Baal priests and, and he was like, he was testing them. He's like, hey, you know, let's just make a sacrifice and, uh, you know, put some wood there, uh, put a bull on it and, and, and we'll just pray to our gods. And wh- whichever God answers by fire is the God who's real. So the, so the, the um, priests, the Baal priests, they, they try it and they cut themselves and do all sorts of crazy religious things and, and there's no fire from heaven. And then, and then um, Elijah's actually mocking them and waiting for them to kind of fail because he knew they would fail, fail. And what he does is he actually pours water on the sacrifice, a lot of water on the sacrifice, and he starts praying a simple prayer. And God answers by fire, consumes the sacrifice. It happened on a mountain. Think of the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus and three of his disciples, they go, go up on a mountain they, didn't, they weren't really told what would happen on the mountain. Jesus knew what was going to happen on that mountain. He's on that mountain. And it's like the glory cloud comes down on that mountain. And two other historic Jewish figures appear on that mountain. Moses and Elijah. So you got Moses, Elijah, and Jesus there. And, you know, they're there for a reason. Because, you know, Moses represents the law. The five books of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses in the beginning of the Bible, he represents the law, which, by the way, the law is not a bad thing. Take away the laws from this this country, you'll see how bad it will get really soon. Then Elijah, he represents the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, which is a solid foundation for our faith as well. And then Jesus represents a new covenant, the fact that we can be redeemed through the blood of Jesus, that we can have a life, new life through him. Three important figures are there on that mountain, but it was on a mountain. And you know what? Jesus, Jesus promised that he would return to this world. And I don't know how you read your Bible, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I believe it cover to cover. And I know Jesus is coming back. I know that he will come back. And the Bible says that he will come back on, on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Another mountain. And you know what? Even the secular media 
thinks it might, there's a high probability that this will actually happen. Because I, I'm told this, I haven't seen it with my own eyes, I will go there, this will be my, one of my main reasons to go to Israel. But supposedly there are cameras overlooking the Mount of, the Mount of Olives to actually capture that moment when Jesus returns so that the whole world can see it, which is also fulfillment of prophecy when that happens. When Jesus comes back, everybody should be able to see it. It's awesome. I'll, I'll give you the picture when, when I'm there and I've seen it. I'll make pictures just of the cameras. Story continues, says this, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. The disciples, they worshiped Jesus because he had already appeared to them a few times. He had already proven to them he, that he truly is the son of God, that he, he truly is God himself. And, 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 you know, you're only supposed to give worship to a, a deity, to a God, to nothing else. So, so, so by doing this, they basically, the disciples basically said, hey, you know, we believe that you are, you are God. You are the God of, you know, that we already believed in before. And, and, you, and you're, you're, you know, you're the son of God and you're God himself. They acknowledged that, that Jesus is God. But there were others that hesitated. They, they doubted. You know, the Greek word there is distazo, which basically means hesitated. You waver between opinions. You're not sure if you have to believe this or that. So you go back and forth between those, those two opinions. And, and, and you, you may wonder, why were they doubting? I mean, it was as clear as it can get that Jesus was the son of God, right? Could be two reasons the, the, uh, the scholars say about this. Some say, hey, um, they doubted because they, uh, Jesus didn't fulfill their expectations that they had about the Messiah. You know, they, they interpreted the Old Testament scriptures in a different way, and they were looking, they were waiting for a political and um, a political and a military Messiah that would basically kick out the Roman oppressor from their nation. That's what they were looking for. So they were wondering, is this Jesus really the Messiah? Is he really the Son of God? Is he really this person? So they were doubting. They didn't want to, you know, they, they weren't sure if they, they could um, worship this, this man who was the son of God. The other reason could be that, um, that, uh, they, weren't, that they just weren't sure if he was, he was uh, a deity, whether he was God himself, whether this resurrected Jesus truly was God. So that's why they doubted. And that's why Jesus said this in the next verse. Jesus came and told his disciples I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. Now you could easily read over something like this. But usually, pretty much always, when Jesus says something or does something, it is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In this case, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy in the, in the, by the prophet and Daniel in, in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says this, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man. Why did we hear this term before? Jesus, the Son of Man, right? That's how he calls himself. That's how he's called in the book of Matthew. I saw someone like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence Ancient one is God. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jesus was given authority. Now, this is a big deal. 
Because when you take the Bible, when you truly believe the Bible, you know that in the beginning of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it, it says something about these, these two people, Adam and Eve. And by the way, I believe that there, is a literal, there was a literal Adam and Eve walking around this earth as the first humans. I truly believe that. And I can tell you, and can give you a whole lot of reasons for that, but we won't be done by three o'clock if I'm, I get into that. So we're not going there. But Adam and Eve, um, Adam was given authority by, by God to govern the earth, to rule the earth, to cultivate the earth. This was his realm. The earth was Adam's realm. And he was supposed to take authority over, to take leadership over, over the earth. But for some reason, Adam and Eve decided it was better to listen to the voice of a, of a serpent and to, to basically forfeit that, to give it away, to give it to, give it to the serpent, to give it to the, to the devil, basically. Give all the authority over the, over the earth to the devil. So it was gone. They voluntarily gave it up because they decided to disobey God's express command. But you know what? Because of Adam's disobedience, authority over the earth was lost to the devil. But because of Jesus' obedience, the authority over the earth was taken back. Jesus is the second Adam. He came to restore what the first Adam had destroyed. And you know what? Jesus doesn't want to keep it to himself. Neither, neither like God didn't want to keep it to himself, that authority. He wanted to give it to mankind. But now, now Jesus, he gives it to those who actually are in Christ, to those who are actually Christ's followers. He gives it, he passes that authority on to us. That's what you see happening here because in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that was basically the way to kind of expand the kingdom of God on the earth, which is the, the prime purpose that God had through Jesus. And, and because he says, therefore, there's a causality there. Because I now have all the authority, I'm sending you out to do the same thing that I did when I walked on this earth, when I ministered in the, on this earth for three years. I'm sending you out to do the very same thing. You're, I want you to be part of my team. That's what Jesus said to those 11 disciples because, you know, there were 12. One, um, one basically uh, tried to betray him and then committed suicide. It was Judas. There's 11 left. He said that Jesus wanted his ele those 11 disciples to be part of his team. And not only that, he wants us to be part of his team. That's why it's in the Bible. He wants us to be part of his team. And so, so last week we saw that, that through baptism, we basically say, hey, we want to be on the Lord's side. But being on the Lord's side is so much more than just showing up for church on a Sunday, keeping a seat warm. Uh, really, when you, when you think about it, being on the Lord's side means that you're actually doing the things that Jesus calls you to do. You get involved in that great commission that, that Jesus has for this world, for his, for, for his church, for, for us. So... God wants to mobilize you. He wants you to become part of his army. And this is not an army that takes up, you know, like physical arms, like guns and everything like that. No, he calls us to take up spiritual arms. Ephesians 6 speaks about that. There's a weapons of war, warfare, spiritual warfare. But he wants us to bring the light of Christ, the word of God to, to the nations, to the, to the whole world. Making disciples is something that was very 
normal in Jewish society back then. You would have like rabbis, and a rabbi is a Jewish teacher. And, and he would basically look for a couple of bright guys. Hey, you want to come hang with me for, for a couple of years? I want to teach you everything that I know. And, and basically the goal that was that they would become disciples, become not only disciples, but would become rabbis in their own right. And then later on, that they could start teaching and making some disciples of their own. But Jesus here says something different to his disciples. He says, no, I don't want you to become rabbis. I don't want you to make disciples for yourself. I want you to make disciples for me, for him. And you need to make them of all nations, of everyone, black or white, Asian, African, South American, whatever, all the nations of the world, all the nations. And this was a groundbreaking thing that Jesus was saying because up till that point, Jesus was basically limiting his ministry to, to the Jewish people in, in, in the promised land. Of course, there were a few people here and there that weren't uh, Jews that, that he reached and that were deeply impacted by him. But, but his, his goal at that moment was still to, uh, to um, up to that moment, was still to only reach the Jewish people. But there's more. There's a whole nation out there. There's a whole world out there. And the Greek for nations is the word ethne. It's like the nations. It's like everybody in their, in their you know, in, in all, the, all the different colors and cultures and, you know, everybody in this whole world, he wants, he wants us to reach. Paul said this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And he says this, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In those, in those days, there were only, the world was considered of, of two type of people. You had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. You had the Jews and the Greeks, basically. And, and he says that, you know, Paul's strategy, every time when he went to a new city, the first thing he would always do is he would go to a synagogue because that's where the Jewish were worshiping their God. And he would preach the gospel. He would preach Jesus to them. And, and if they listened, great. There were always a few people that kind of stuck with him and became, you know, started learning more about this Jesus. And, uh, and then after that, he would go on and, and, and reach the Gentiles. If there wasn't a synagogue, he would go to a river. Usually people were praying along the riverbanks, and there are usually Jews there that he tried to reach. If there's no Jews there in the city, he would go straight to the Gentiles. But he always said, you know, to the Jew first and always to, uh, it's, it's the power of God for salvation for the Jew first and also for the, for the Gentile. So it's for all of us. And that's one of the reasons why Ava and I were going to, to Israel in a few weeks' time. Because we want to see how our church can get involved with, with that, that, that primary task of also reaching the Jews with the message of, of, of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. That's why we had um, Israel Portar over here in, in July. And I think some of you listened to him when he spoke here. Because we believe that God wants to, wants to use Jews like him, like him to reach his whole nation. And, and, and speed up the return of Christ to this world. So disciples are made in twofold ways. Last week we spoke about baptism, water baptism. And I'm um, not going to tell you a whole lot about this, but... Water baptism is basically an initiation in the faith. This is where it starts. This is where faith starts. You know, and too often we, we kind of look at water baptism and it's like, man, it's like the end goal. 
It's like, well, this person has been seeking Jesus and he wants to kind of know more about him. And then, you know, uh, and they've done Alpha and they've done this and that. And, oh man, it's so awesome. They, they got baptized. But this is only where it starts. This is where the Christian faith only starts. And, and we're baptized in, into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, word, the Greek word eis, which is translated in, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word means into. It's, there's movement there. So we're being baptized into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We basically become part of his world instead of being part of our old world. And um, the cool thing about this whole uh, baptismal formula, if you're allowed to call it like this, uh, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is like, again, another, another sign that Jesus is given to, to, to show the people who were doubting that, that, hey, the name of Jesus is, or the name of the Son is listed next, right next to the Father and the Holy Spirit who were already conceived as divine by the Jews. And he's basically saying, hey, because we're in the same, you know, um, list of three, the Son, me, is also divine. He was trying to make a point here. So this baptismal formula is so much more than a baptismal formula. There is a reality that we can enter into if we, if we get baptized, when we get baptized. Jesus continues, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Obey all the commands. So that's the, baptism is only the beginning. Obeying Jesus' commands is, is where, it's, you know, really the path for us to go. You're like, so is there like a list, like a law book of so, or so of things that we need to, you know, do or not do? No. It doesn't work like that. It's all about that relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, of course, there's scripture that's revealed to us. What Jesus does say is this. This is really important. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Pick up your cross daily. Because every, every day, I don't know about you, but my life is, you know, every, t- every day there's something that kind of pops up from my old life that I kind of have to like, <clears throat> under my feet. I don't want this in my life. I want to pick up my cross daily and follow him. I want to live a radical life for Jesus. I want to get rid of the old stuff from my life. I love how the message translation uh, says this. You know, you're not in the driver's seat. I am. And too many of us, we're, we're, we're not in the driver's seat anymore because we gave that driver's seat to Jesus, but we're like holding on to the steering wheel and we're like causing an accident from here and, here and there because we're, you know, we're trying to correct Jesus. It's not a good thing, not a good place to be at. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all, by the way. He says, I love that. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. Self-sacrifice, that's how we find our true self. Not by kind of making it all about us, making ourselves the center of the universe. That's what kids do when they're three years old. Let's, let's be mature and not do that anymore. Let's make Jesus the center of our world. Give Jesus the driving seat. Don't take hold of the steering wheel anymore. 
Paul says this, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. You know, Paul had understood what it means to pick up your cross daily and follow him. It, sounds, it almost sounds arrogant when somebody says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But I don't think he said it with arrogance. I think he was like, hey, you know, I, 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 I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I want to live a life that is spotless, that is full of integrity. And I want to live, uh, want to live as an example for, for the rest of you all. So why don't you just look at me and if you, if you want to find out what it means to practically follow Jesus, to, pra to practically pick up your cross and, and follow me, look at me. It's not that I'm any better. You know, Paul speaks about, you know, having a thorn in the flesh. There were all sorts of things happening in his life. He wasn't perfect at all, but he was a great example to, to follow. And I wonder if there's people in this place who God is speaking to you at this moment and saying to you, I need you to be just like Paul. That you should be able to say the same thing as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. So that when people in your workplace or your school or in the neighborhood or in your home will look at you and, and, and think, hey, there's something different about this person. You know, fulfilling the Great Commission in your workplace doesn't mean that you're going to preach the gospel and like, you know, create, your, create a whole lot of issues for your boss as a result of that. Being a Christian in the work floor means that you live like Christ. That people see there's something different about you. That, that they know that you're a person of prayer. Because when the time comes and, and, and somebody goes through a rough time in their family or they got a bad report from the doctor, they come to you and they'll ask, hey, aren't you one of those people, or one of those Christians who pray? Can you pray for my situation? Can you pray for my, my marriage? Can you pray for my health situation? And you have an opportunity to share what Jesus has done in your life and bring Jesus closer to that one person. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know what, I, I believe that God is raising up a generation of people and it doesn't matter if you're young or old. But he's raising up you guys. If, you, if this is your home church, he's raising you up and he wants to use you to pour into the life of, a, of another person, to make a difference in the life of another person. Just like you know, some of our connect group leaders are doing and they're heroes, I love that. But it's not just for our connect group leaders, it's for everyone. Everybody who considers Jesus their Lord and Savior, we can all invest in the, in the life of another person. We can all do that. Because that's how we build the church. We don't, we're not called as Christians, we're not called to build the church. That's, that's a wrong, that's wrong thinking. Jesus is building the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're neither, neither are we called to grow the church. This is a wrong focus. What we're called to is, is to just build disciples, to, to uh, make disciples and grow disciples, help them take the next step in their journey with Jesus. You know, God grows the church if we make disciples. And what's even more, God grows us when we make disciples. And some of you, you're wondering, you know, how can I go to the next level in my journey with Jesus? How can I grow to the next level in my spiritual maturity? And the answer is found in this very, very same principle. You're called to invest in the life of somebody else. Because you can read the Bible for hours and hours each day. You can, 
You can do, you know, you can pray until your knees start hurting. And it's not gonna make a difference. You're not gonna grow spiritually because God is waiting for you to start investing in that next person. And once you start doing it, you know, that's when your, 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 your spiritual life will go through the roof because that's how God has wired you to be. That's how God has designed you to be. He wants you to make a difference in the life of another person because that's when you will start growing. God grows you. Jesus says we're called to go, make disciples, to baptize, introduce them to the family. We're, we're, we're supposed to teach people and to obey. And my question to you today is what are you doing to make disciples? Start praying to the Lord how you can be help, of help in that, how you can make a difference in somebody else's life. Who's that person in your circle of friends? Who's that person in your workplace that, that is already drawn to you, that you can invest in? Start with that person. Yeah, you know what? When we do this, when we, when we obey, when we follow, when we do what Jesus has called us to do, the Great Commission, that's when he promises, I'll be with you every step of the way. I'll be with you. He promises us his presence. But just that obedience step, it's just hard. I don't know about you, but I think it's hard. Obedience is a very hard thing. You know, because there's this thing inside of me that, that always wants to rebel against, you know, what, what my parents said when I was a kid. Or, you know, uh, the Bible speaks about, uh, you know, uh, obeying parents and, and the authorities and, and church leaders and, of course, God. And it's hard. There's this root in all of us that has to, that we have to lay aside, we have to kind of, you know, we have to take to the cross, really. And what are we doing to, to make it happen? Jesus says to us, pick up your cross daily and follow me. With me, it's always my way of the, or the highway, but that's not how God has intended it to be. It's not my way, it's his way. In me, through me. How many of you have, have struggled obeying, you know, your parents or obeying like something else? You know, don't raise your hands right now. When I didn't, it led me to a road of self-destruction. It's not good. It's not pretty. Even with my kids, I see it, you know. I mean, I, I have the perfect kids. Let me say that. Let me brag on my kids. They're perfect. They never do anything wrong. No, it's not true. You, you all know that. Because they have that same nature, that same sin nature in, in them as we all have. And it's like when I talk to them, hey, Miles, can you do this? Or hey, William, can you do this? They're not even listening. They're like, in Dutch you say, Oost in these doof. It's like they can't, they can't, they hear it, but they can't hear it. And then when they do listen, they start to argue with me. Yeah, it's my brother who made such a mess. Let him fix it. It's like, come on, man. It's like, it takes you like 30 seconds. Fix it, please. Obedience is hard. But God wants us to obey. He wants us to lay aside our life. He wants us to pick up our cross daily and follow him because that is the key to becoming the person that God wants you to be. Laying aside your old self, walking in the new self that God has for you. And you know there's a great promise. If that's what you do, he will be with you. Last week we said, hey, when we get baptized, we, we make a decision to step to be on the Lord's side. But when we actually do his will and fulfill the great commission, 
God says to us, I'll be with you. God is on our side. I want to be on his side and I want him to be on my side. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live my life. Because that is the key to breakthrough in your life. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads right now. God, we come to you, Lord, right now. We thank you for your presence in this room, Lord. We thank you, God, that you've, that these people, they're so amazing, Father, that, that you love them with an everlasting love and you have an amazing plan with each and every one of us. And God, we pray, God, that you would reveal that to us, Lord, what that next step is, that you show to us who that person is that we can pour our life into, who we can invest in. God, we want to grow. We want to grow spiritually, Father, and, and it's by investing our lives in the life of somebody else, God. Help us, God, to, to be faithful to you. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to your plan, your purpose. Help us, Lord, to follow that amazing pattern in the Great Commission. God, let it no longer be a great suggestion, but become a great commission for all of us. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen and amen.